one thing that, I don't know what, why it is, but a lot of us enjoy it uh, when we have the opportunity to meet people that we think are famous or, you know, that we think are rather important people. And, you know, people just sort of get excited about that. I remember whenever I was 12 years old, Dad took me to the, the National Prayer Breakfast. My dad's a pastor, and so it's up in Washington, D.C., a lot of politicians go up there, and I got to meet a lot of these, a lot of politicians when I was just like a little kid. I remember one guy that I, I met was uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, and the way I met him is I was running around a corner, and he came around the corner, and I just, I almost knocked him over. He was like a short little dude, and so I, I was like amazed. But anyway, so I got to meet Ted Kennedy. Don't think he was very impressed with me, but the person I, I enjoyed meeting more than anybody else was uh, was Billy Graham. Uh, Billy Graham was there, and he was speaking. Of course, you know, we, we consider him to be probably the greatest uh, known American pastor that there is. And I got him to sign this little program for me, and I still have it to this day. And it's one of those things that, you know, it's like a, a treasure for me. Now, I, I know a lot of you have met some rather significant and famous people. And so many of you, of course, are very famous people. And so I won't point you all out today because I don't want you all to be embarrassed. But I was just thinking about some people in our church who have relationships with people that are, are rather well-known. And uh, in our church, we have a family here that's related to the actor Ernest Borgnine. Y'all know who that is? Uh, these guys won an Academy Award like back in the 1950s. Uh, we have uh, some families here that have relationships with Joe Gibbs and then with Jimmy Buffett. He'll be here next week to sing some of our Christmas songs. Uh, so anyway, so some of you have relationships you know, with people that are rather significant people, well-known. But the question that I have for you today is this one. Do you know the king? Have you ever met the one who was born on Christmas? And do you know why he came here? And do you know what his purpose in coming here was? Now today we're going to cover, obviously, part of the Christmas story. And we're going to look at some of the people that were associated or that typically are associated with the Christmas story. And whenever you, you read through some of the differing accounts of the Christmas story, you cover people like, you know, there's Mary and Joseph. Uh, you read about King Herod. You read, you read about the wise men or the shepherds. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to look at some of these main characters that, that are a part of the Christmas story, and we're going to see what happened to them or what the response was whenever they had the opportunity to meet the king. And we're going to see how it changed their lives. And so we're going to look in just a few moments in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and following, but I want you to see a few ways that you can know or determine in your own life whether or not you have met the king. And one of the first ways that you can know if you've met the king or not is this. If you have, your sense of purpose in life will come into focus. When you meet the king, your sense of purpose in life comes into focus. And I want you to look with me in verse number 19. And then we're going to look down in verses 24 and 25. It says, because Joseph, her husband, and this is, this is Mary's husband, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then in verse 24, it says, and when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. 
The most unbelievable birth that took place in all of human history is the birth of Jesus. And one of the things that sets apart Jesus' birth from everybody else's birth is the fact that we are told that when Mary gave birth that she was a virgin. Now, in the scientific world, uh, we would say, or they would say, that that is an impossibility. But in Scripture, in God's world, he would call this a miracle. Now, whenever Mary was with child, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And just to let you know, engagement, now the idea of engagement in the Middle East is totally different than our, our idea of engagement now. Uh, whenever a person was engaged during the, this day, it was very much like you were already married. Uh, now, the difference was you did not live with the person, you did not have a physical relationship with them, but if you were going to break off the engagement, you had to go through a process of divorce. And so engagement was something that was taken very, very seriously. And it's in the midst of this engagement that Mary had an angel visit her, according to the scripture, and they told her, the angel told her that she was going to give birth to a son. She said, this child will be conceived in you by the Holy Spirit. Now you have to, you have to admit, if, if you receive word like this, if you were somebody like Mary, this would probably be a message that would, just to say the least, that would freak you out a little bit. You know, I'm not married yet, and yet I am going to have a child that's conceived within me by the Holy Spirit. Now, how did Mary react to this news? And this is what's really incredible about her reaction. It's in, it's in Luke 1.38. Here's what she said. Very young girl, possibly around 14 years old. And she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you've said. That's a pretty mature response, you know, from somebody who grew up in a culture that's very, not like ours today, where if somebody uh, is with child outside of wedlock, we don't think much about it. But it was very taboo, especially during this day. And yet she said, Lord, if this comes from you, it is something that I accept. And so for years and years in the church, Mary has been venerated. But I think that through all of that, there's, there's always somebody else that we tend to overlook during this whole process. And it's Joseph. And guys, today I am here to speak up for the one dude in this story. Joseph was a great guy. I mean, absolutely amazing. The Bible, the scripture that in verses 18 and following, it tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. That he was a man that was, that was godly. He's a man that loved God. He wanted to do whatever he could to please God. According to verse number 18, we are told that Mary and Joseph had not had a physical relationship. It said they had not had union together. So they're still engaged when Joseph hears the news that Mary is with child. Now, I know that when we, read, when we read the Bible, we tend to put on our Bible glasses or Sunday school glasses, and we read about that and go, yes, we see what has happened here, and we totally forget the natural human emotions that go with the story. Uh, guys, and I'm not going to ask for any responses here, just think about it. If you were engaged, and you knew you had not had physical union with the person you're engaged to, and then you find out that she's with child... What do you think your natural response is going to be? I mean, is it going to be like one of those things, you know, where you just sort of go, hey, that's really not that big of a deal. I can already tell you what's going to be going through my mind. Somebody is going to die. 
You know, I mean, it's going to be frustrating. And, and I think sometimes we look at Joseph and we forget that he was a man. As a matter of fact, if you read in our text, when he found the news out, his first response was to say, I'm going to see how I can secretly put Mary away. Now, that's not what you think. He's talking about divorcing her quietly. Yeah, he, wanted to, he wanted to move on from that relationship because of what had happened. But Joseph was to be in for a surprise. Because we're told, I believe in like verse number 20, that an angel came to visit Joseph. And the angel told Joseph, Mary, whom you are engaged to, is with child and has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And that makes everything a little bit different. But you would think, you know, whenever, whenever he heard that news, you might think, well, that would make it easier for him to be accepting of this news. And I, I don't know how it was for him, but in my mind, I thought, you know what, I think it would actually make it harder to hear that she had conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. I mean, she's still innocent. And yet, if, if he would have never known this, it would have been so much easier for Joseph just to move along and say, Mary, it's not going to work out between us. And, I, you know, you, you just go your way. I'm going to go my way. And, and then I can start over. But when he got this message, you know what that meant for him? For one, it was an angel. It got his attention. And he wanted to be obedient to God. But it meant that if he was going to hold true to what the Holy Spirit told him, which was you go ahead and marry this lady anyway, it meant he was going to face ridicule. They're from a small town, Nazareth. They find out that this lady is with child before they're ever married. And y'all know how gossip spreads. I mean, even in a small town. And Joseph knew that if he took her to be his wife, that... That there'd be people who would talk and say, hey, did you hear about Mary and Joseph? You see that Mary's with child? You know, I've even heard that it's not Joseph's kid. And yet Joseph was willing to endure the ridicule and the hardship that came with her pregnancy. Why? Because he knew that God had purpose for his life. He knew that God had a plan for his life. And that plan was for him to raise up the Son of God and teach him about the things of God. And whenever Joseph was given this challenge, he rose up and he was willing to meet the challenge. Now that brings me to you and to me. Do you know what God's purpose is for your life? Do you know what it is that God has called for you to do in your living? Now, I know some things that he's called for all of us to do in our living. I know that, that God calls for us, or part of his purpose for us, is to know him and to have a relationship with him and to follow him and, and be obedient to his word, the scripture. Why would we want to pay attention to the scripture? Let me share with you what John twenty thirty one says. It says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. God has placed us here so that we can discover him, so that we can serve him, and so that we can discover life in his name. Life of joy, meaning, and purpose. A life of eternity once we move beyond this life. And yet what I'm afraid of is that many of us don't know the purpose that God has for us. And I, I really do. I know a lot of people who are, who are not 
you know, really in tune with the things of God. They don't have a relationship with God. They're not particularly, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, religious. Yet, and yet there's some of the people, very good people. They have good families. They have good jobs. Uh, they have a good idea about, about what they need to do in order to be a good citizen and all those things. And yet when it comes down to the very core of who they are, I see so many of those people who are empty. And who are searching for more. And they just feel like, man, there's just something missing. What is it that's missing? It is the purpose for which they've been made by their creator. And whenever you lose sight of your purpose, you just end up chasing after so many things that never bring fulfillment. Uh, The Taj Mahal has this absolutely beautiful tomb, really, that was built in India. I'm sure you all have seen the pictures of it. Uh, The guy who built it, his name was Shah Jahan. And he built it as a tomb for his wife. His favorite wife died in 1629. And he brought her casket in, her body in, and they began to build the Taj Mahal around it. And it just, became, it just got to be a bigger and bigger project as time went on. And as it got bigger and bigger, a couple of years had passed, and he was inspecting, Shah Jahan was inspecting the place. He's walking through, and he, he tripped over some boxes, and he said, get this trash out of here. So they came in, and they removed all the trash, trying to clean it up. But after it was completed, they were looking for his wife's body, the casket, and they couldn't find it anywhere. And what had happened is, as they were cleaning the place out, the box he tripped over was his wife's casket, and they threw it out. Now, the purpose of the story is to let you know that sometimes we can get so focused in on just all the other stuff that we lose sight of what our purpose is. And, you know, we can get suckered into thinking that some of the most important things that we can do in life are are being impressive to other people, being important in our community, making making, uh, a lot of money, having the right kind of job, driving the right kind of cars, and all these different things. And I'll tell you this, I, I really don't think in and of themselves that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But if they become your number one priority in life, you're going to lose sight of your purpose. And whenever you lose sight of your purpose, ultimately you're going to end up feeling empty. I look at Joseph and I I see that he discovered his purpose in life. And whenever he discovered what it was, he was willing to endure hardship and ridicule because his life was being lived to please God and not people. And so, you know, who is it in our lives? You know, for, for me and for you... Who are you living to please? Are you living to please yourself or please man? Are you living to please God? And I know that when we live here, it's so easy to want to live to please man because that's who we're surrounded by. But let me tell you this. God, living to please God, is better because he's got better dividends than anybody else. So how can we know that we've met the king? Well, your sense of purpose will come into focus. You'll understand. You'll begin to see why God created you, what he desires of you. Another, another way that you can know that you've met the king is your sense of significance is not going to be threatened by the success of others. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, your sense of significance is not going to be threatened by, by what other people do. Now, I want you to look with me in chapter 2, verses, let's see, verses 3 and 4, then we're going to skip down to verse number 8. In verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him, 
And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And this is from last week. Where was Jesus born? Where? All right, good job. Just want to make sure you all remember last week. Okay, let's go down to verse number 8. It says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, another main character at the time of Jesus' birth was King Herod. King Herod was a major political leader in the area. Uh, he was the one who was considered to be the ruler of Israel at this time, or this of Judea. And uh, King Herod, while he does have many faults, and you can read about them in our text, he was also, he actually was, he was a, he was a great king in a lot of ways, Herod the Great. Um, he was known as a great builder. Um, I've had the opportunity with my family to go over to Israel, and some of the ancient buildings that are still there to this day, and some of the ruins that are there, are there because they've been, they were built by King Herod. I mean, he wanted Israel to be known for its, for, its building and the, for its buildings, and it was the cosmopolitan place. But even though he was such a great builder, he was not a very popular guy. And a couple of reasons why, uh, more than just a couple, but I'll just share two. One of the reasons why is because Herod was in cahoots with the Roman government. And the Romans were the one who were occupying Israel at this time. And the people hated them. And so they saw Herod hanging out with them, and it just ticked them off. Another reason why he was not popular is just very simply put, Herod was mean. I mean, really, he was, a, he was not a great man to look up to. Uh, he was a guy who was very paranoid. He was worried somebody was always trying to take over his kingdom. And whenever he saw somebody as a threat to him, you, you can read extra biblical sources, Herod would kill him. Uh, some of the people Herod killed trying to protect his own kingdom. He killed his own sons. He killed his wife. He just thought, they're going to try to take over my kingdom. He wanted to kill Jesus. Now, the, this is the kind of, okay, he's paranoid. You can see that for, through history. So how do you think Herod responded when wise men show up and say, King Herod, we heard the king of the Jews has been born. Where is he? Now, that was intimidating to him. He's thinking, I thought I was the king of the Jews. There's, a, there's somebody else that's been born? And, and so he told the wise men, he said, y'all go find him, then come back and tell me where he is so that I too can go and worship him. He never intended to do that. He wanted them to find him so that he could go and kill him. As a matter of fact, in the history of Bethlehem, Herod had his soldiers go into Bethlehem and they killed as many babies as they could find to try to eliminate Jesus. Now I know that most of you, I know that none of you are as cruel as as King Herod was. I know that none of you would even think about or fathom doing anything like this, but I do believe that many of us have a trait very similar to Herod in that whenever we see other people in success, it is natural for us to have a sense of jealousy. And I really believe, I just think that's one of the natural human flaws in people is that it is, it is much easier for us to weep with people who are weeping as opposed to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. You know, and I'll, I'm not saying, and I'm not pointing to anybody specifically, but you know, it's just whenever, whenever you see somebody else who's doing well, there's just sort of this jealousy that comes, why am I not doing as well as him? You know, if he, if he did just a little bit worse, then I could really rejoice with him. But if he does any better, I can't. You know, jealousy is a terrible thing. 
Jealousy does not, it does not build anybody up. It simply destroys. Let me try to give you an example. There were two shopkeepers that were very, uh, very competitive with each other. They didn't like each other. Their stores were right across the street from one another. And when one of them made a sale, he would walk outside, look at his competitor, and then he'd just sort of gloat. So look what I've done. And then the other one would do the same thing when it happened to him. Well, one night an angel came and visited one of the shopkeepers, and he told him, he said, listen, I want you to know you can have anything that you want, anything under the sun. He said, but whatever it is that you ask for, he said, I'm going to give your competitor twice as much. He said, so if you want to be wealthy, he said, you'll be wealthy, but your competitor will be twice as wealthy. He said, if you want to live a long life, you're going to live a long life, but your competitor is going to live twice as long. He said, so what is it that you want? The man thought there, thought for a while, and he was just very distraught, and then he finally came up with an idea, and he looked up at him, and he said, I want to be blind in one eye. Now, uh, that, is, that is what jealousy does. It's not a good thing. And like I said, I think it's easier for us to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who, rejo- who are rejoicing. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you, have you met the king? And I don't mean, have you heard about the king? I mean, have you met the king? Now, now some of you might know the wonderful things that he's done for us. You know that he came and he died for us on a cross. You know that he offers forgiveness. But do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? And there's some people who find that to be, you know, think if I'm going to follow after Jesus, it means I have to submit myself to him and follow his leadership. And some of us can find that offensive because we think, you know what, I, I don't need anybody. I'm a grown-up. I can handle things all on my own. I don't need God to intervene on my behalf. But guys, let me tell you something. It is only Jesus who really gives us security in this life. You know, you can rely upon your job, you can rely upon your health and your own strength, but I promise you this, it is all fleeting. Life is short. And when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, there's only one thing that matters. Do you know the king? My, my hope for you is that you will not be jealous of the power of the king and try to make it on your own, but that you'll be willing to submit yourself to the king because it is only him who gives eternal life. It is only, it is only Jesus who can give forgiveness. Now, how can, I, how can I know that I've met the king? Well, your purpose will come into focus when you meet Jesus. You can know that you met the king and that your sense of significance is not going to be threatened by others. Like Herod's was. But this is the last thing I want you to see. Your, the final way that you know you met the king is your sense of generosity will grow. When you meet the king, he instills within you a generous spirit. Now I want you to look with me in, in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the final three verses that I'll read. And this is the, the wise men. It says, And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. There's an interesting tradition that's risen up about the wise men. Uh, one of the traditions that there is about the wise men is how many wise men are there? 
three wise men. What's interesting is when you look in the Bible, it doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us how many wise men there are. We, we get three from the number of gifts that they brought Jesus. Okay, this is you know, it's like Christmas quizzes here. What gifts do they bring to Jesus? Yes, very good. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are the gifts they brought to Jesus. So that's how we came up there. There's three of them. Now, it doesn't tell us that. Now, we don't know really who these guys were. We don't know what their names were. Uh, we don't know what necessarily what region or what country they came out of. We just know that they were wise men. They're called magi. Now, because of that, there are some things that we can know about the wise men. And one of the things that we would know about them is that the wise men would have been well-versed in the sciences and math. Uh, they were supposedly had a gift of being able to interpret dreams, and they were also gifted in astronomy. In other words, they, they were able to look into the heavens. Now, they came, they came to Jerusalem first looking for the king of the Jews. Now, first of all, a little prophecy reminder. There was a, there was a pervading view all throughout the ancient world that a great leader was going to be born about this time, that a savior of the world would be born. And this doesn't just come from the Bible. Uh, there were historians, Roman historians, who were not Christians, who wrote about this, saying there is an ancient belief that from Judea a great leader will be born. Now these wise men would have, would have known about this. But they ended up in, in Jerusalem at this time because they had a sign that was given to them. Do you all remember what drew them to Jerusalem? It's a star. Remember, they were gifted in astronomy. And there was a belief that a great leader was going to come around this time. And so they began to look to the heavens for a sign, a sign from God that a Savior was coming. And when they looked up into the sky, there came that time when they saw a star of great significance that no one had seen before. They noticed it. Why did they notice it? Because they were looking for it. They were looking for a sign. They were looking for the king. And when they got the sign, they responded to the sign. They were willing to travel a great distance to get there. All right, now here's my question for you. Are you looking for the king? Are you looking for him? Do you want to find him? Because here's one of the neat things that you can learn. If you will seek after the king and you seek to find Jesus, the Bible tells us that you'll find him. For the wise men, they were searching for Jesus. And whenever they searched for him, God opened up their eyes so that they could find the king. And God will do the same thing for people. If we are honest and we say we really want to find the king, God will open our eyes up to him. And whenever our eyes are opened to him and we meet the king, he will change your life. How does he change us? One thing that he does is he creates within us a generous heart. Spirit of giving. Whenever the wise men came to Jesus, they wanted to make sure that they had appropriate gifts to bring to a king. So they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We could talk about the significance of each one of those gifts. We're not going to do that today. But I just want you to know, those gifts that they brought Jesus, they were befitting of a king. They were important for a king to have. And I want you to know that whenever Jesus touches your life, you're going to want to, you're going to, want to give to him as well. 
You want to give, you're going to want to give him your life to serve him. You're going to want to give him your time. You're going to want to give him everything that you have to him. Because you know that he came for you to change your life. You know, every Sunday I see examples of this. I mean, I could, I could mention a whole bunch more, but I just know, for me, it's real easy to see on Sunday. I see people who give so much of their time because they've, they've come into contact with the king. You know, this week our band was up here practicing. By the way, y'all, y'all need to pray for our band. Three of our singers got sick uh, this week, so we're just praying that they're going to be. It's going to be great anyway, but we need them to come and sing tonight. So they they're they're sick today, but they're going to be better. We're just going we're going to trust that. But our band they were up here this week. I know one night they were up here till after eleven o'clock. Well, why would they do that? Why would they give their time like that? Because they've met the King, and they want to give to Him. When I walk into church on Sundays, I see, you know, I see people who are, I walk back into the children's area, and I see people who are working with our kids, and I know on Sunday afternoons we have people who are working with our youth, and I think, why, why are they doing that? You know why? Because those people met the king, and they want to give to him. Every Sunday when we sing, I look up at the band, and I, I look at you, and I look at people who serve our coffee and donuts. And say, why do they do that? And it's not so they can get first dibs on donuts. You know why they do that? Because they've met the king. And they want to do whatever they can in order to make people who come into the church to feel welcome so that they can meet the king. Last question. Have you met the king? You know, we celebrate Christmas because we have a God who sent his son into our world that we might meet the king and be changed by him. How can we know if we've really met the king or not? You can know if you've met the king because he will change your life. He will make you different. What I'd like for us to do at this time is to to close our eyes and, and to bow our heads.